Reputation rules. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of F1 in Review 2023. I'm Tom Claibon and as ever I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt and Angus Gallagher. Today we look forward to the Austrian Grand Prix but first we have to talk about the man who won the Canadian Grand Prix, Gon Prior. He needs no introduction for most but of course for those who need his name and his constructor is Red Bull and it's Max Verstappen. Now he's equalled Ayrton Senna's win record of 41. Where does he rank in the list of all time greats do we think, at least in the modern era? All-time greats, my goodness! I feel like this is a this is this is setting off some gunpowder, Tom. This particular question, isn't it? Because I start strong. This is this is starting very <laughs> strong. Um, so I don't think we're going to really win with the general consensus here. But I would say in the all-time greats, he ranks. Oh, I'm going to say fourth to me, Ooh. sort of fourth. Well, Ooh, the thing wow. is, you're asking about all-time greats. So to me, I've got people like Jim Clark in there. Uh, so if you want to know some of my all-time all-time greats, I think um, it's very difficult to say who number one is. So I might say these are in no particular order, but okay. I'll say uh, Michael Schumacher, Lewis Hamilton, Jim Clark, and uh, Max Verstappen. But it really depends on how you want to on, want to measure it. But obviously, Ayrton Senna is up there as well as as all-time greats. So I maybe yeah, I, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say. Fourth, maybe I think now that he's equalised with uh, Ayrton and Senna, I think, yeah, I think he, he, I would be able to argue that he beats that. And I'm so sorry for everyone out there who's now frantically typing on their keyboard, telling me, "Oh, you're very wrong," because actually <laughs> it should be Ayrton Senna and number one. And well, that's fair enough. That that's your view. But I think the difference is, I think Max is going to keep going and um, is is going to solidify. Maybe you, if you wanted to take what I say with a, a bigger pinch, so you say Max Verstappen and Senna equal but certainly i i would say yeah but i may be fourth now in all-time greats which is mm. crazy um is he's gonna get his third world championship this year which is just absolutely nuts and the other reason i think he's won the all uh up there with the all-time greats as well is because he will forever hold the record for youngest person ever to win a grand prix mm. and that's that's pretty good and i just think we're gonna see him excel further than than others who are already up there people like um, Sebastian Vettel and Fernando Alonso. So, yeah, what a what a what a very difficult difficult ranking order to to put uh, Max Verstappen into. But fourth, strong. I, I think fourth is generous, personally. In terms, of, if we're talking all time, I think that he is still for me. Maybe it's my deniability of the fact that he is actually very good. But I think there are still a few above him. I still rank. Obviously, your Hamilton, your Schumacher, your Prost, and your Senna. Um, Alonso, for me, goes above him for in terms of probably because of the longevity aspect and the consistent. Alonso is just a, simply a wow driver, I'd call him. There's an argument for ones like, like you say, Clark, Lauder, Fangio, uh, Jackie Stewart as well, all icons of their time. And then past that, you're looking at. Drivers with one with one world championship, perhaps who mm-hmm. can they be considered as like as icons necessarily? Sure, but they probably have less gravitas in terms of statistics. <clears throat> and also brings up the debate of do we measure this by statistics or by by what we see? And then it's impossible to measure across generations. Like how can we compare Verstappen to Senna when Verstappen wasn't even born in the life of Senna? So it's always very tricky and it's interesting to draw comparison to those two because of the fact that they now both have the same number of Grand Prix wins 41 Mm. Verstappen getting 41 has just come round out of nowhere honestly he's just absolutely flown up the list 
and it's helped by the fact that because the, the seasons are longer if you get a car which is very good you're going to win more races and you're going to have a chance to bump up your statistics hence why he got what was it 16 wins last year i think in the end because that red bull so dominant throughout the whole year and you can see him to be honest he's only 10 behind prost and 12 behind vettel could you overtake them both this season it seems ridiculous to say that with 14 races to go but based on Possible. current form it's not yeah. it's not an impossibility where does he rank in in the modern day generation um I've said this before. He's un- out of the new crop. So you're, you have a Stappen, Leclerc, Russell, Sainz, Norris, etc. He's the best for me. Not just because he's been in the right place, right time, but because he has just been utterly assertive and dominant. In terms of the the other greats of this of the last decade or so, so you're Hamilton, Alonso, Rosberg. I think he ranked or uh, Button, etc. Uh, Raikkonen. Vettel, mm. I think he ranks highly amongst those as well. He has taken on and defeated many of those drivers. In fact, all of them. I mean, he he beat almost like the winning the championship in 2021 was like taking on the final level, the final boss in Lewis Hamilton, and he managed to mm. for all the for all the for all the controversy around the Abu Dhabi climax. He won. He he won that fight across the year. In the end, statistically, that is uh, what it will read. But if I was to dwell on that Abu Dhabi climax, Verstappen obviously is a great. He's won two world championships. He'll have won his th- possibly won his third championship by the age of 26 come the end of this year. All things looking good. And by that stage, he'll only have Schumacher, Hamilton, Fangio, Prost and Vettel ahead of him in terms of all-time world championships. But mm. I want to pose this question to you. Could open up a can of worms, this. Would we be having this conversation had Michael Massey stewarded a, a Formula 1 race correctly in December 2021 and let's say Verstappen hadn't won that championship it's obvious to say as in terms of like history changing but what do we think would he have would he have gone on for so much of a, on so much of a, a run that he has since without that interesting that you use the word correct correctly there but I suppose that sort of says abundance about that thing um, I suppose if we're going to go and rank Verstappen if he doesn't win that, I think he's still going to be ranked as a great because he burst onto the scene so young, 16, 17 years old with Toro Rosso, for example, being the youngest person to win a Formula One Grand Prix. That's not to be scoffed at at all, really. I suppose it depends, again, how you're measuring it because if you're going to measure it purely by championships one, then naturally he goes down to, I say the level just of, but the level of Rosberg, Button... Raikkonen in terms of that metric but I think the fact that he's been so consistent and been fighting at the top if not towards the top for so long and would be if we take that one away going on to win two world championships this season I think he's still got to be heralded as a good driver an excellent driver one of the best in terms of this modern era and indeed rewinding back to the sort of mid-2000s and 2010s as well so I think it would take a bit of a sheen off him currently you can't go and say that having two world championships versus three is equal, but I think that we'd still be looking upon him as one of the greats of this era and somebody who's been, I suppose, above the class of, of the rest, really, insofar as he's peaked at a young age. You know, He may leave Formula 1 around, let's say, the mid-30s, if not slightly below, with more world championships, take that one away, keep it, if you will, than most drivers, which you can't ignore, really. No, it's very difficult because... Where it, we, I don't really know where we'd measure it. I think we'd have to go back actually to listen to ourselves um, mm. in 2021 before we won the season, and maybe 2020 as well. Um, and and maybe that would give me give me my own honest opinion, right? And I'd I'd be able to disagree with myself. I'd say that given his form in the last couple of years, I think we'd we'd be almost at the same point saying things like oh well you know he's, he's going to get his second world championship and that at, at this rate of success means he's going to be propelling himself into the all-time greats of formula one and this is the nice thing about formula one history right every time you you say oh well i think this person slots in there and then someone goes well you forgot nicky louder and you go oh blimey i've got nicky louder oh i'll mm. chuck him in there then and then John Surtees. Surtees? Oh, crikey, yes. One on four wheels and two wheels. Right, I'll chuck him in there as well. Um, and so uh, you're never going to get a definitive answer because and how on earth do you, do you ever 
you ever measure that and then you know it's just going to be almost possible but i i would i would say that where max is now i mean certainly by the end of this season i think he's going to be i think he should certainly be in everybody's top 10 i would argue he should be probably in your top five um and once once i mean i do you think he's gonna get four I mean, blimey, if this is just four world championships, uh, that would be absolutely crazy given that he, he will, you know, meet people like Alain Prost mm-hmm. um, and, and set the same amount of championships as him. But I would say that I, I look more as consistency rather than perhaps all-time, uh, you know, world championships because that can give you a clue as well who who is amazing and who's not. And it's part of the reason why we hold Alonso up to such high esteem because even though Alonso this year hasn't necessarily dominated in terms of absolute points, isn't going to win the world championship. There's no far, there's no getting away from the fact that what he has shown this year has been an absolute exceptional uh, show of talent, and mm. that will make him one of the all-time greats. Uh, in the same way that if someone, let's say, you know, a new driver came in and got in this year's Williams halfway through the season, and they managed to propel that team, well, that team into you know, fifth place, we'd be thinking, blimey, this person is brilliant. This is an incredible show of talent. So I think to some extent, World, World Drivers' Championships demonstrate to you right driver at the right time. You definitely have to be one of the top drivers to um, get the World Drivers' Championship simply because you have to have the right machinery under you. But I think if you look at overall consistency, I think Max shows a level of consistency now that perhaps we haven't seen for a very, very, very long time. And I suspect this, this show of consistency is going to be rather scary and may lead to some very, very boring races because Hmm. Max at the moment seems not to be able to really put a foot wrong. And yes, Angus, you brought up my, the Michael Massey incident, but there's no getting away from the fact that Max had, well, that the overall talent and consistency to fight Lewis in the right place at the right time in order to get, you know, Lewis in Abu Dhabi in probably one of the the only few places he was going to. Yes, he was on on new tyres, but you still had to take advantage of that opportunity. So, whilst definitely Max has had some luck, I would argue that his consistency his overall talent means that he's always able to capitalize on opportunities and that's something that other drivers just aren't able to do i think when you look at the world drivers championship as you say there tristan it's so easy to just forget the luck or to forget the lack of luck really when it comes to drivers and constructors for example because there's not only picking the right constructor at the right time there's also reliability issues there's other drivers getting in the way or having consequential impacts on your race as well so i think just looking at this long list here and going well two is bigger than one and three is bigger than two so there you go is difficult and i'd even go as far to say on that point, that I'd say Verstappen probably ranks higher currently than Sebastian Vettel, and that that may be controversial, but I say that because his peak in terms of not only winning races, winning world championships, but being at the very top of the grid is longer than Sebastian Vettel's, and will be longer moving forwards as well. I, I guess it depends on how he does. If he were to go and leave now, then I'd be looking like a bit of a fool, but... Currently speaking, I think he is because of what he's done in terms of the impact he's had on the sport, both in championships, races, but also how he's shown to younger drivers as well. Maybe not directly, not intentionally, but shown via his example that you can get into the sport and do rather well from such a young age. So for that reason, definitely his legacy or his impact, in my mind, is better than Vettel's. What do you think? Big statement. Um, I think the legacy point is becoming more and more favourable because one of the often spoken about criticisms of Vettel was that his peak was exceptional but the rest of it wasn't that spectacular Agreed. and the fact that especially yeah, especially in his later Ferrari years and then the Aston Martin years you saw the occasional old Vettel you saw the, the peaks occasionally but it wasn't anything massively special and the fact that now I think a 41-year-old old, old Alonso is absolutely destroying, carnaging Stroll shows that Vettel getting past Stroll and beating him a bit wasn't that impressive. And Verstappen, you're right, seems to have just been more consistent. I think for Verstappen, 
he does have this habit of destroying teammates. Like, he literally destroys them. He did it to Albon, he did it to Gasly. He's done it to Perez on a fair few occasions, whilst also being pegged back. He did it to Daniel Ricciardo in their last season together. People forget that when he joined Red Bull, he made a strong start, was a little bit reckless. And then for the for the second half or the most of the 2018 season, he finished streets ahead of Ricardo in terms of points. He destroyed him and, like, basically, let's be honest, forced Ricardo out of Red Bull. He destroyed Daniel so, Kvyat's career. Yes. <laughs> yes, that as well. Yep, absolutely. By winning the first race in a Red Bull after Kvyat got, uh, got dropped. So he has a habit of doing that. And Vettel, sure, at his peak, was able to do that to anybody. I mean, he did it to Mark Webber, who was by no means a slouch. But Verstappen has consistently just put doubts in the minds of people he's in the same team as, and he's re- destroyed their their chances of doing anything productive with the car at their disposal. And I think that has to be credited. And whether his legacy is better already is a debate, but I think that for his legacy to be uh, better than Vettel at the end of the, their careers is without a question, I, I'd say. I don't know. I think that's that's incredibly difficult. To, I think as a racer, Max is probably better than, than Vettel, but there's no getting away from it's just how you measure it. And I think also your sensitivities on whether or not you like Max. And there are a lot of people out there who really, really do not like Max because of the way he drives and his uncompromising nature when it comes to uh, his his own performance. And that has led to some should we say angst between him and, and him and the other other drivers um if you want to see that in action just go back a year to the last austrian grand prix when at max got past charles leclerc um in a very aggressive manner that led to some a lot of upset actually on um on the track and that's kind of max isn't it you know he he will do anything at any cost in order to win even almost losing himself the 2021 drivers championship and that's that's the reality isn't it really max is almost so good that the reason why he loses is because of him his own actions rather than anything else there is he he has co- almost compromised himself in 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 races and you know that he's got away with a lot of things another example is monaco this year max basically nearly took himself out at the very end of the incredible Monaco qualifying lap because he was pushing so hard he hit the wall and he managed to just about bounce off off of it and qualifying pole position. If that doesn't sum up Max Verstappen, I really don't know what, what, what will actually. Completely uncompromising. Does it all all that it takes to, to win right up until the edge and sometimes perhaps we might argue over the edge. And that is the personality of one of the all-time greats. So to round off this section then, let's play a little game. It's one of, is he better or worse or equal to Verstappen? So I'll read out some names. Ooh. It will get, spoiler alert, slightly harder. And all you have to go and do is tell me, are they better, worse or equal to Verstappen? So here we go, Jensen Button. Worse. Worse. Worse, correct. <laughs> it's right Next. or wrong, is it? <laughs> Ouch. In my opinion, of course. Um, Kimi well. Raikkonen. Worse. Worse. Worse, regrettably. Um, Alonso. Hmm. Better. Better. Ooh, I'm going to say equal. Yeah, lo- longevity and also just Alonso. When Verstappen manages to squeeze the most out of every car for a about two decades or decade and a half like Alonso has then we'll, then we'll say better yeah I, I agree with Angus's ruling it's only because uh, Alonso's just been that good for so long mm, interesting we've spoken about him Sid Vettel worse worse equal Oh, interesting equal interesting. just to, to back up my previous point of like once once the dust settles on both careers Verstappen will be better but for now I have to consider the statistics as well, of which Vettel stacks up very strongly. So I'm going to say equal. This is completely ruining my answer at the very beginning of this podcast, by the way. Thanks, Tom. You're welcome. You're <laughs> Where does he stack up? Fourth. Now let me demonstrate why he's not. <laughs> <laughs> I take my time. Uh, last but not least, probably the most controversial uh, battles, at least in the modern era, Hamilton versus uh, Verstappen, where we 
where we're ranking the two of them. Is Hamilton better, worse, or equal to Max? Better. better. Yeah, better. Agree. Yeah, yeah, better. For the moment, mm. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, this is the weird challenge, right? Isn't it? So if we can't reflect on this in a few years' time, it may well be incredibly difficult to pick those two apart. But at the moment, I think Max is doing his every every best effort to to challenge that view. But I think at the moment, Lewis Hamilton is is up there um, mm-hmm. in the same way that that if you asked where how's he rank against Schumacher, I would say that. Verstappen is not as good as Schumacher mm-hmm. yet. It's one thing to rank on form, I suppose, in this season, but when you're comparing the number of race wins and championships as is, as we can only judge this at the moment, I think it's fairly impossible, regardless of your sort of tribal loyalties, listeners and us, to go and say really that at the moment at least, Verstappen is better than Hamilton although he did, of course, beat him in that championship in 2021. So moving away from Verstappen, he's doing rather well in cleaning house. That's not the case for everybody. Silly season is upon us. There's lots of talk of change at various teams. So in a few words, who do you think is fighting for their Formula One future in the paddock? Two words. Logan Sargent. Ooh. I'm afraid. I just, we have, I, I think, personally, I think this is a great chance for us to talk about it. We don't talk about Logan Sargent enough. On F1 there's not a lot to talk about, really. It's a limited there's, there's topic. Not, <laughs> there is not, but talking talking can still be had, and I think that's what we're going to do today. Um, he is, I th- he's pretty. So- he he was pretty solid when he was in Formula Two. If I from my t- when I follow followed him or followed the Formula Two series last year and the last couple of years, he stacked up pretty solidly. He didn't stack up too badly. He came fourth last year in his second full uh, sorry no his first full year in fact in the championship finishing fourth the drivers who finished in front of him being Felipe Dragovic Liam Lawson and Teo Porcher three pretty decent drivers themselves also the fact that he came third in his second full season of F3 uh, the winner that year a certain Oscar Piastri so you know, he's not any, and Sargent was a three-way title fight in that series. So he has some speed, he has some pace. He's clearly must have done some good work in the for the Williams team as a reserve driver last year to be able to get that second seat over Nicholas Latifi. And I think we could almost allow him out of the from in my head out of the three rookies coming in. So Piastri, De Vries. And Sergeant, I was almost allowing Sergeant the most amount of time to be to become acclimatized to the sport. Whether that was because my expectations for him were lower, or whether it's because of the car he's in and we expected Williams to be last, etc. That was kind of what I thought. And I, so far, I'm being proven right. But in 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 all seriousness, I think that it's a tricky one because he's in a he's in a back field uh, back of the field car against someone who is very accomplished and driving their absolute socks off in Albon. I mean, he's just got seventh in Canada, for goodness sake. I mean, obviously, you spoke about him a lot last week whilst I was away. But, yeah, Albon did a absolutely smashing job. I think, that's, personally, I described it at the time as, like, just a stunning drive in that car in that with that strategy. And when Sargent's up against that, it's tough. And he's the one who will be given time Definitely the most time I'd say, but like it's bit a bit unspectacular. It's not been a wow moment so far. Did he get, did he get into Q two in Bahrain? That was kind of wow, but then no one, no one really spoke about it. Probably because something else happened. Mm-hmm. So he's almost flying under the radar under the radar in a in a way in which he needs to be he needs to be over the radar if that's a phrase he needs to be above he needs to be a, he needs to be a little bit more above the radar i think maybe it's on your bang. radar i think that's what people maybe, tend to say maybe he, but he needs to be yeah smack bang in the middle of the radar for once because he's not really yeah. up upping any trees and doing much and i think soon at some point the heat at the moment is a bit on nick de Vries, who i'm sure we'll we'll come to uh, to discuss but logan Sargent, yeah Underwhelming, but not unexpected. If you get what I mean, is is how I describe. That's a that's a pretty dire way to describe it. But yeah, that's how I describe it. Sort of, I guess. Do you know? I think the most interesting thing for me about Logan Sargent is he's born on the thirty uh, first of the twelfth. Um, there you go. Which is interesting. Okay. 
uh, of okay. the year 2000 as well. So, uh, I mean, isn't he... Is that the most... If, if that's the most interesting thing about him, bless him. Uh... <laughs> you know what that might... The reason that might be the most interesting thing, I think, is because that means he's born on the last possible day of the previous millennia. Because I think, uh, yeah, 2000 counts as the previous one. So there you go. Does it? Yeah, it does. Oh. Technically, 2001 first there you go that's a really interesting thing about logan Sargent. there you go the mm. millenn- he wow. was born on the last possible day of the previous millennium oh that's nice um he, his highest grid position is 14th and his highest race position is 12th he, he so yeah he's had these kind of moments as you said angus that, it, that that's okay and he's been mostly under the radar and he really needs to be on everyone's radar if you want to be able to get further i'm um, I think the problem with Logan at the moment is, as you say, he is driving, I would say, the worst car on the grid, and he is not mm. one of the best drivers on the grid, which means he's not necessarily getting those spectacular moments that we would like. And I think we have been a bit spoilt for a while when it comes to Williams, um, because we've had some interesting talents come through, George Russell and Alex Albon paving the way uh, but on the flip side of that <laughs> we've also had everyone's favorite driver nicholas latifi um the driver that was oh, so yeah. brilliant that on his exit credits one of his accolades was driving in a formula one race um mm. <laughs> and logan Sargent oh, is dear. seems to be at the moment not exactly setting the world on fire and i think that's because he's a middle to average driver in the worst car on the on the grid i think if you mm. popped him in a, an aston martin he'd be consistently getting into the points but not necessarily challenging for second place or first place like you know alonso is so that's always a real challenge for for up-and-coming drivers when they're not incredible talents and when they aren't in the best teams they often don't make an impact so to finish in 12th is great and to to have a you know exit out of q1 and into q2 demonstrates that there is a little bit of, of talent there. What I'd say is that was at the beginning of the season and therefore other drivers weren't really ready for um, the the season and teams weren't optimised yet. So perhaps that was a bit of a, a fluke, actually. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Logan Sargent is incredibly difficult to talk about because I think perhaps, and you may not like this, but I think his biggest asset to Williams at the moment was the fact that he's born in Fort Lauderdale in Florida. And the fact that he is an American driver gives them, and Williams, gives himself and Williams, the ability to attract American sponsors. And American sponsors mm-hmm. equals big money, especially as we have three US races now. He, he was a big part of the Miami Grand Prix. He will be a big part of the Las Vegas Grand Prix. And then when we go to Texas, he's, he, that's, again, an attraction for, for the US market is the fact they have a US driver. So they've got a US driver in the in Logan Sargent and they've got a US team, Haas. It's the, you know, it is that, that magic money-making move. And unfortunately, I think that's one of the reasons why he's in Williams, not necessarily his overall talent, even though he's made an impact, as you said, Angus, in Formula 2. And without dragging Latifi's name through the mud once more, and this is not designed for a cheap gag if you will i think it's really important that logan Sargent is in this team as well because now they don't have a driver williams that is who's crashing retiring or not finishing the race every single weekend the only retirement logan Sargent has had has been this weekend and that was not owing to a crash per se or to some material damage that was more inside the williams car and you may think to yourself, well, is that really important? Surely that's just the bread and butter of being an F1 racer. And true, I, I do get that completely. But when you're going from having one driver who's doing very well to another driver who you can't really trust whether they're going to go and finish the race to one that you know will finish the race, albeit not be the very best, or perhaps get in and around the points to a point but not do too well is far better because you're saving so much money when it comes to the repair damage that you don't have to make, for example. And let's remind ourselves, with him being 22 and going into the sport after F2, he's still, by his own admission, learning the tracks as well. So the fact that he's able to keep it on the track, if you will, 
finishing some good positions in various Grand Prix is quite good when he's still learning on the job, if you will. Compare that to someone like Latifi or indeed Nick DeVries, who's still on the grid, who are making far too many mistakes, have made far too many mistakes in the pre- previous races, indeed the seasons. And when you compare the ages of 22 and 28, you go, well, what's their excuse, really? And I think if anyone is to go and fight for their Formula 1 future, uh, firmly indeed, a risk of losing it I think it's got to be Nick DeVries really when you consider he's joint last on zero points when you consider that yes he's not got the best car but his teammate Yuki Tsunoda is being very consistent to his credit he scored a P10 finish twice P11 three times his lowest finish there Tsunoda that is being P15 I think really Sonoda is putting Nick DeVries to the sword currently and I did not expect that even remotely when we compared how volatile Sonoda could be versus last season. So in my mind when he's 28 years old and the experience of his age and Mercedes connection aren't really showing thus far, I think it's a done deal really for Daniel Ricciardo to come back and to go into AlphaTauri for all his faults. I think this should have happened really last season and um, he shouldn't really be taking this hiatus. I don't think he's going to come back to AlphaTauri. I, I don't see Ricardo taking that hit. But unfortunately, in in this sport, isn't there? There's always drivers which we 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 have in the sport for a bit and then we forget about. And that's one of the points actually. I think highlights um, some of the all time greats, isn't it? It's kind of name recognition. And to emphasize those points, I don't know if you if you remember talking about Formula One when when you were growing up. But if you ever spoke to anyone about Formula 1, there was always one name that everyone mentioned, in, in our area anyway. That was Michael Schumacher. Everyone knew who he was. And I feel like in a sport, you kind of get these uh, these names that just go on forever. You know, I can name some Tim Henman, for example, another one. You don't even mind. Um, uh, and you just you just know a name and you know where that person fits into a certain sport. And you know, Lewis Hamilton, Michael Schumacher... And arguably, actually, now Max Verstappen as well. I was speaking to someone who had never, um, never watched Formula One before, and they went, "Oh, isn't Max Verstappen in Formula One?" And I was like, "Oh my goodness, it, he's another name." No one's going to remember Logan Sargent, no, or, or Nicholas Latifi. Well, I know we will. We remember yeah. Nicholas Latifi <laughs> because of his, uh, you know, all of his impact, perhaps in twenty twenty one, most of all. But this is the actual. This is the crux, isn't it? There are there are names that go on and live forever, and there are ones that are forgotten. That you know, they say you die twice: once when you die, and the next time once your name is forgotten. Um, and, and unfortunately, Logan Logan Sargent is so forgettable that I think most people forget he's in a race, uh, along with Nick DeVries at the moment. I think I, for, I forget he's in a race. Oh, blimey, Nick DeVries! Oh, look, he's oh, he's yeah, I forgot he's racing and. I think that's part of the reason why we struggle to talk about him and he struggles to get any coverage is because he's not doing anything that means that we would want to talk about him. Um, As much as I hate the term driving around in circles, I think sometimes some of these drivers just actually just drive around in circles. Or in uh, Latifi's case, spin around in circles. As as, As well as Logan Sargent, obviously, another one who probably is under a lot of pressure right now, Nick DeVries, I think... We had a lot of expectations for him, didn't we, after that barnstorming performance from Williams. I think that this gets greater context after what Helmut Marco. it's almost like Helmut Marco listens to our podcast and knows that we record on a Tuesday and is like, let me just give these guys some content. <laughs> because uh, Helmut Marco said today that he and Christian Horner not often disagree on driver signings. And he said, quote, the last one where I would say that we disagreed was Nick DeVries. And at the moment, it looks like he is right, as in Christian Horner. So Christian Horner was the one, supposedly, who disagreed with DeVries getting the drive. Now, for one of the bosses of the team to say, oh, by the way, my colleague disagreed with me. But guess what? He's being proved right at the moment. Not exactly the most ringing endorsement for an employee of a company. Do you think this... Shows the writings on the wall for De Vries. That's a pretty stark thing for Helmut Marko to come out in public and mention, I think. I think the clock is ticking, yeah. Going back to my prior comments, I think there's few redeeming features about Nick De Vries at the moment. And that's obviously nothing personal. But when we saw him on the shoulder of Toto Wolff for so long and everyone got, oh, why is he not in Formula 1? Oh, it's the money. It's the money, isn't it? That's why he's not in Formula 1. Well, 
I can show you a list as long as my arm as people who have gone into Formula One because of uh, a lack of money or not not in consequence because of a lack of money, shall I say. So I think that, yes, it will be Daniel Ricciardo or another, really, because I think the experiment, which it was really to bring Nick de Vries in and to go and freeze out uh, Liam Lawson and other members of the Red Bull Academy, has failed, really. I think that's been to Sonoda's credit because Sonoda has come on leaps and bounds, I think, albeit in one of, if not the worst cars. That's a beautiful summary, isn't it? That I think, Tommy, you, you've summarised my, my thoughts as well. And I think, to be fair, they they took a gamble. They take a take a risk. I mean, we are only a, you know almost halfway through the season now, so I don't think it's quite fair yet to discount him. Um, but clearly, there was a disagreement within Red Bull. And what do we know about Red Bull and uh, in themselves? Is they will be very quick to get rid of you if you aren't performing and that is it's very difficult especially when you, you think that most drivers right would would get both the backing of the the talent scouts in formula in red bull so the major talent scouts being um christian horner and helmut marco uh, and to hear that nick only had the eye of one um is a worrying sign and i don't think red bull will think twice about removing nick if he's not performing as as well as he should now helmet marker has a lot of a lot of sway in formula one given that he is basically responsible for the up-and-coming talent and ensured that previous brilliance such as max Verstappen, got their seat and you know not every time you don't always get it right but this is only now we may look may look at nick in a completely different light at the second half of this season. And we can't discount as well that the Alpha Tauri is a terrible, terrible car, an utterly abysmal car. And mm. his teammate, Yuki Sonodia, has only got two points as well. So, yes, okay, Nick is currently 19th, but Yuki's in 17th. So, uh, if we swapped that and said, well, uh, Yuki's in 8th and, uh, Nick's in 11th then I think we would be slightly kinder so it's not like his teammates put getting incredible performances out of this car I would just say that that perhaps there is another driver waiting in the wings that both Christian Horner and Helmut Marko may agree should have the seat and I think at that point they'll make the call to give one the axe and when I say one I mean Nick the axe Mm -hmm. um, and, and bring in someone they kind of agree on which is which is a bit of a shame but we have a high turnover. There are only 20 seats at the moment. So Alpine's Otmar Safnauer has accused the likes of Mercedes, Ferrari and Red Bull of using their satellite companies outside of F1 to give them further research and development knowledge. Well, this is a rumour just for now, but it doesn't really matter moving forwards, that is, because the FIA have brought in a TD45. This basically says that while a team can continue to have other divisions outside of F1, if any of this work finds its way into the world of F1, it must be declared as spending under the cost cap. Now, Tristan, you brought this to our attention in our little group that we have. What do you make of all this? Well, it's typical, really, of teams wanting to do anything they can to get an advantage of over anyone else. And the the problem is, is whilst there is a, a cost cap and... That is about $140 million, and that's the the amount that the teams can spend on R&D. It's not the most a team can possibly spend on R&D, if that makes any sense. Right? They, they um, and I mean the teams, have a lot of money sitting around to do different things. Ferrari has billions sitting around, and Red Bull as well, and Mercedes, massive budgets. And they, they, they just have, can only spend up to a certain amount. It says... You think, oh, that's fair enough then. And and that will even out the playing field between the top and bottom teams. And what the FIA perhaps didn't assess was the opportunity for certain teams to exploit their satellite um, teams in order to generate knowledge and gain an advantage in other ways. And that's the that's the crux of it here. Essentially, the, the four big teams um, are are looking at their their other opportunities really to to invest and they're sending people to that satellite team and then they're coming back with knowledge and that's the issue and it means that they can exploit the the fact that that doesn't count in terms of the overall cost cap 
And that's what the FIA is now stamping down on. And it means that they can, you know, let's say Ferrari goes, hey, we, we, we're in Le Mans and we just, oh, I know we're testing this interesting piece of aero. Let's send a couple mm. of blokes over there to, to have a, a look at that. Oh, isn't that interesting when they come back to the F1? They go, oh, look, I have some interesting knowledge for you. Oh, really? Yes, look at this wind tunnel stuff that we thought about. Oh, that's brilliant. So therefore you've exploited the... Your, your other other um, satellite teams and you have gained an advantage and now Williams for example can't do that because they don't have nearly as as large and versatile racing press they're really only in Formula 1 and so this is what the FIA is, is trying to stamp down on now do you think it's right that they are trying to clamp down on this, and also I was wondering how do you think they're going to do this? Because I'm I'm struggling to 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 find a realistic way that if I can stop this happening. And the reason I say this is because if they stop personnel moving around, well, how can they stop teams employing people from other Formula One teams? So, for example, Red Bull engineers got employed by Aston Martin. Aston Martin used that knowledge in order to improve their car. Mm. Right, isn't that the same as Ferrari moving someone from their Le Mans division into F1 in order to have some knowledge transfer? I think it's one of those things where, like, is it is it manageable? Like, if if people if if teams move employees side to side like this, and they're going to like try and sort of get this extra R&D research and development by moving people aside into different departments is this something that can be managed realistically because Formula 1's cost cap is about managing what comes under Formula 1's umbrella and if they get something from somewhere else it's definitely a loophole I admit but I struggle to see how it can be managed other than clamping down on it when it happens I suppose Mm. but like it's a classic example, isn't it? Classic Formula One of teams breaking, not breaking the rules, but pushing the rules to the absolute letter, the absolute limit, so that they can try and gain some sort of advantage. And it's partly why we love the sport. But yeah, I don't see what, how it's something that can be, like, you know, just managed on a regular basis because it's really tricky. If teams can just go and do that in different. Uh, different industries different like such as Le Mans or such as uh, what was the example in the articles that James Allison who was working on the Ineos project and of course Ineos sponsored Mercedes and they just used R&D from that to, as part of their their design or part of their their research how can mm-hmm. it how can it be managed I don't see it personally it's just one of those where you have to man you can only be reactive rather than proactive I think I think it very much responds on or is down to goodwill, really, from the teams. And there being such obvious similarities between a Ferrari car in one sport and another, where they can go, aha, well, there's no way that could have been done organically in one sport and not transferred to the other. Gotcha. Here's a big fine and a penalty. But um, I think if F1 is serious about this, they're serious about teams not sharing knowledge to the detriment of others and creating that unlevel playing field the cost cap was brought in to try and do away with they should really clump down i think on the relationships between the a teams let's say the supplier teams if you will and the b teams the teams they supply uh, engines and indeed intelligence too let's look at ferrari and Haas, for example you've got such a, a wealth of data shared there in the early uh, iterations of Haas formula one you see it to a point as well when it comes to mercedes and williams be that sharing personnel be that sharing drivers reserve drivers in fact for williams and mercedes if we're going to be super specific and then you've got alpha tauri and you've got red bull where obviously it's an a and b team but no their nickname is sister teams and they're fighting for the championship independently and all this sort of stuff so i think it's a token gesture this td45 but i think really that it needs to go a bit stronger than just symbolically saying listen we know this has been happening there's not something we want so please don't do it because otherwise i think as we see and as we've all said teams will go and push the limit and not really folds to the letter of the law or the warning of it until it comes down hard on them if you will so one to look at really but i i wonder 
has the damage already been done for be it this season or seasons moving forwards? And I say this because if the knowledge and the data and the development of the research has already been shared and the regulations aren't changing anytime soon, perhaps the advantage for the bigger teams such as Mercedes to go and bridge that gap between themselves and Red Bull and indeed Ferrari getting better as well at the expense of other teams like Williams and Alfa Romeo, let's say, for example, is already sown in seeds, if you will. It's, you can't undo what's already been done. Do you, do you concur with that at all, or is that a bit uh, overly dramatic? Well, no, it's very true. It's very, very true. You cannot retroactively remove knowledge you've now passed on, and that's going to be really difficult for the FIA. And I guess th- what they can do, in and may- maybe you think this is right or wrong, uh, I'll soon find out, is they can say to the companies and the i guess the parent companies you cannot well you could say two things you could say firstly we're going to limit the amount of expenditure that you can put into other divisions either motorsport divisions which i think would cause a lot of anger right because then that suddenly means that you're restricting access to uh, other t- other divisions of motorsport and I don't see Ferrari saying, well, we're going to give up money in Le Mans to, to stay in Formula 1. I mean, they they, prob- they may, but I think that would cause a lot of anger. So that's one way you could do it. Basically, you would just put a, a, a stranglehold on the team's abilities to fund projects and alternative projects. Um, so, yeah, you would just prevent the knowledge being created. I guess the other option as well is you put a memorandum on the term limits of uh contracted employees so you you basically force the drivers um and the team's principals the engineers to stay within a team for x amount of time and if you do leave you're not allowed to be employed by another um another team so you can put a moratorium actually on on a return from the uh, into the sport so you may uh, you may say then you can have one directional knowledge exchange so you can either have f1 to f1 or if let's say someone like otmar safnauer gets involved with alpine's alternative motorsport activities over the summer he's not allowed to come back for a period of what three to five years so you you, you create a new memorandum between the teams saying that and then you put a moratorium on on um people coming back and i think that's the only way they can do it and we can't leave the topic of alpine without at least acknowledging the news that uh, ryan reynolds and rob McElhenney, the owners of wrexham have now taken a 24 percent stake in the formula one team so congratulations to them to a point but i suppose we'll see what comes from that and uh, whether that's their benefit to their detriment or indeed nothing changes at all yeah i mean it is very exciting for them. Did anyone see any Eddie Jordan's comments uh, as well? As I was doing, no. a, he always has something. To, he always has something to say, doesn't he? Well, he said that uh, he said that he thought that it was a very good deal that looked very um, looked very good for Alpine. But he was, said he was staggered at how Alpine could be uh, valued at seven hundred million pounds because mm. the twenty four percent stake which Mr. Reynolds and Mr. McElhenney have taken is worth about one hundred and seventy million I think, and he was staggered at it being seven hundred million because he said if that's what they're worth, what are Mercedes Red Bull Ferrari worth, which is an interesting point, but yeah it's um I think it's it's clearly a marketing tool to look at the American audience and try to break into that, even though are those guys Canadian, possibly I don't know. Um, or maybe okay. Let's in that case let's uh, use the term North American audience. Mm. Um, they're obviously very prominent in uh, sports business right now because of the their investment in Wrexham Football Club and the story that Wrexham produced last year and the fact that they have gone up uh, up to the football league and also the whole excitement and buzz generated by the the Welcome to Wrexham documentary which was mm. produced. Mm. Um, so I think it's a, it's a great it's a great headline it's a great pull for the Alpine team. Um, other than that, I think yeah I think that's that's the, that's it really. I'm not really I'm not trying to sort of show some sort of cynicism to it. I think Eddie Jordan's comments were more more cynical in nature, but just sort of acknowledging the fact that it's an intriguing deal and 
it's going to be good financially for them and then we'll have to see if it has any effect on on track performance and whether the extra uh, money equity whatever uh, I don't even know how equities work to be honest with you so I don't know why I'm talking about that but um, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> what, 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 whatever it is money wise let's hope it does them good is all I should have said there we go I mean summarise my thoughts I don't think people realise how much Ferrari is actually worth nowadays I mean they're uh, at the moment they're worth over 50 billion dollars as a company Ooh. if you say that I think that makes quite a lot of sense to me you know if Formula 1 is incredibly expensive their assets are worth a lot of money and not, let's not forget as well that um, Alpine uh, in itself has has got you know uh, an ever expanding car manufacturing production and and other things like that and they also have quite a have a yeah a lot of fingers in different pies now um, especially they're they're looking at Le Mans too so I I don't think that's absolutely ridiculous and also like all these things these companies and these buy-ins and are, are pretty much worth whatever the bidder is is suggesting they are worth. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy when you talk about numbers in Formula One because you get into millions, billions very, very quickly, and it's very, very scary. If this means that Alpine continues to progress in the sport, I think that's great. I'm still holding out. Every year, I hold out for Alpine to make a significant impact, and every year, I'm predicting that Alpine are going to do well, and every year, I have been sort of proven a little bit wrong. So I'm hoping that they'll be able to turn around the fortunes of Alpine so that they're not just stuck as the in you know, a middle of the sport but very much like Renault used to be at the front and that would be mm-hmm. fantastic to see because I would love someone like Pierre Gasly or Ocon to be having the opportunity to challenge because we know that they are very good drivers I mean Ocon's an incredibly underrated driver and I still think that Alpine is an incredibly underrated team so yeah. I don't know I feel like that's that's uh, isn't that a Netflix movie magic moment right an, an underrated driver in an underrated mm. team Alpine, you know, and then roll the credits yeah. on it. And that's a free idea for you, Netflix. Um, after your Drive to Survive series ends, um, my royalties are very reasonable. Hmm. And I think the moves in the market there with Alpine being valued at that figure really does show you the health of Formula One, be that owned to Drive to Survive, sprint circuits, going elsewhere in the world, expanding different markets. I mean, it wasn't too long ago that Manor was sold to Ross Braun for a pound that Honda was struggling to sell for any amount of money. Now we're talking hundreds of millions, billions and the like for, I mean, really with Alpine, let's be fair, they're an underrated team and I wish them the best every race really, but they are a sort of teapot team to use a footballing analogy, sort of not really going to do too much to trouble anybody at the top, but they'll they'll get some points here and there. So just speaks to the health really of the sport, which is um, a welcome relief really compared to 10 years ago. And on that note, that seems that's all we've got time for in terms of episode 19 of F1 in Review 2023. Thank you very much for listening on your preferred podcast provider or indeed elsewhere. A reminder, you can follow us on Twitter and TikTok, our handle being F1 in Review. And we now look forward to the Austrian Grand Prix. So qualifying for that is on the Friday because we've got a sprint on a Saturday. So the Friday qualifying is 4pm, that being British summertime. The sprint starts at 3.30pm the British summertime once again on the Saturday and the race is 2pm on the Sunday again if you're watching listening or indeed observing in the UK so an interesting Grand Prix coming up we hope whatever happens we'll be back to go and talk about that and everything else regarding Formula 1 in the next episode so thank you very much and we'll see you next week